You are listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Kerr. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. Connect with me on YouTube at Past Life Lady or on my Facebook fan page at Past Life Lady. Hi friends, Dr. Shelley here. Guess what? You're not going to believe this. I have another book coming out from Llewellyn Worldwide. It will be out on December 8th and it's called Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories. So earlier in the 2000s, I wrote a book series, which I have discussed on the Healing Arts Podcast about a phenomenon I call Supretravi. Spontaneous past life memories. This is when we're trying to mind our own business and yet we're hit with this picture, thought, or feeling about something that happened to us in the past. This was happening to me all the time while I was traveling to other places. And what I found through my research is that I truly believe this happens to every single person alive. The book has some incredible endorsements from people like Coast to Coast's George Norrie and others, and it would mean the world to me if you will go out and pre-order my book so that you can have it before the holidays when it comes out on December 8th. So check out Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories, now available in pre-order on Amazon.com. And thank you so much for your support. Namaste. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Kerr. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. So I have got Allison Carmen on the show. She has an incredible new book called A Year Without Men. She is a host of a really awesome podcast. I'm going to leave the link for you. It's called 10 Minutes to Less Suffering. She's a published author and many as wonderful workshops and things that she's helping many, many people through her work. Allison, welcome to Healing Arts. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. Yes, I have to start out, of course, that your title, A Year Without Men, I have to say you had me at hello on that one, <laughs> to say the least. Um, but you make it very clear that this is not, this book is not about man bashing. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> obviously. But tell us, can you tell us how you came to write this book? 
Yes. This was not expected, but I think the most important or the biggest things in our lives often come with an unexpected tag with it. Um, I was a lawyer. I started my career as a lawyer and then I became a business consultant and I had many, many spiritual awakenings. I wrote my first book, The Gift of Maybe, which was all about uncertainty and I thought I was in a really beautiful place. I had a husband that I loved and two wonderful girls and life was good. Uh, if you asked me on June 29, 2018, that's what I would have told you. And on June 30th, 2018, my husband came home and what felt for me like out of nowhere told me that he wanted uh, to be with other women and he wanted us still to have family vacations and family holidays, but that we needed to separate. And I remember at that moment, I, I, it's almost like I felt someone like rip my heart out and I, I fell to the floor and I wasn't thinking about maybe, and I wasn't thinking about spirituality. I was devastated. And I honestly, in that moment, didn't know how I was going to live for, for so many different reasons. This was my life. This was my foundation. This is, you know, I bought into this, this world, this, this view that I was living and bizarrely in a two week period, my biggest male client for 25 years, five days after my husband told me he was leaving, terminated our relationship. And my other male clients kind of, we'd ended projects. So I didn't really have many other male cl clients other than this large client that I had for so many years. And he was in the well-being industry. And then five days later, another one of my clients called the Motherhood Center, which is a uh, female-run day hospital in New York City. They they got rid of the only man at the company and they invited me to come in to be their CFO. So literally within a two week period, the two biggest men in my life, personal and business were gone. And I got invited to this world of women. And I didn't realize it for a long time. Like this wasn't like in that two week period, I was like, oh, I'm gonna write a book. I mean, I was suffering greatly. Right. Uh, and ironically, the owner of the motherhood center was a psychiatrist. So literally I would drag myself to work and, and I was friends with her as well. And I'd look at her and I'd be like, I think I'm gonna die in between meetings. I was like, I think I'm gonna, I'm dying. And she's like, you're not dying. And so I feel like I just kept being put in this place where I was supported, but at the same time, there were no men in my life. And then just one day I realized that I was living a year without men. And so the book is not against men, it's for women. And through this year, I saw all the places that I didn't love myself, where most of us women don't love ourselves and why, and why we hide and how the world gives us messages and how we interpret them. And so it's a really beautiful book. It's, it's an empowering book. And my hope is that women will take a look within themselves and redefine the places that they feel less than so they can go out into the world and create a new paradigm, create a new way to be, maybe start their own businesses, maybe behave more authentic at work, maybe take more risks, deal with uncertainty in different ways. I just think it's there's an opening for women right now. And my year without men was my pathway there. And my hope is that it'll lead a, a lot of women there as well. I agree. I mean, you know, it's so interesting the way the book unfolds. And you were talking about the fact that, you know, we show up to work it's not like anything was wrong, but once the men were gone, you realize all the ways that maybe we're just trying to fit into this world that really apparently isn't ours. And then when the men are out of the picture, then you talked about, if you just, I want you to talk, tell us everything, not everything, because people need to go get this book immediately, but 
you were talking about like when you went to your new role in the all-female company that every, all the women were very intuitive. They were in, inferring and intuiting these new ways of doing business and that it was all very awesome. Anyway, can you just tell us some more about that? And it whatever to that, all that. Different... I mean, it, friends, let me just say to the audience, I mean, this book is amazing. Um, I worked for Tom Hopkins, the sales guru and Jim Rohn in self-help. And so it's a really great self-help book too. And you've got wonderful exercises that people can do as you're pointing out different things to the reader along the way. So you, everybody needs this. That's all I'm saying. So, okay, go ahead. I just wanted to give oh, that. Oh, no, thank out. you. Thank you so much. Um, in a look, I still, believe it or not, I read the book. I know that sounds strange, but you know, when you learn lessons, the most important thing is how you integrate them. So this, you know, all these things that I learned, I still go back and I'm like, wow, you know, I really want to work on this thing today. So I read my book as well, as crazy as that sounds. But yeah, no, the atmosphere was different. I mean, when you really take a step back, I mean, there was no one talking about sports or women and, and men going out for drinks after work. It was, it was very different. But the thing that actually was most different about this environment is that you were allowed to express how you felt in, in, in other environments, and I've been in the business world for a very long time, that people make it like corporate America makes it like emotion sink ships, you know, tears sink ships, or if a woman cries or says she's stressed, she doesn't, she doesn't have what it takes. And when you really take a step back, what you see is that there are a lot of emotions in corporate America, but some are accepted and some aren't. And often a lot of the male emotions, like when a, a man would get angry, well, he was upset that you didn't do your work or when someone would roll their eyes. But that was more acceptable than a woman shedding tears. So I actually think that men are more emotional than women most often in the workplace if you include those other things. But what was so interesting where this came to me is I was at a meeting at the Motherhood Center. There were six directors, but I think brilliant women, highly educated, brilliant women. One of the directors started to cry at the meeting. And if I had been in an environment where there were men, everyone, everyone would have like looked down upon her. It would have, she could have gotten fired. Maybe she wouldn't have got promoted. Nobody budged and nobody cared. She was crying. She was upset. And at the same time, she was saying brilliant things. She just had gotten very emotional about something. And it was such an interesting moment because it makes you see, it's not that you tell me you're stressed. It's not that you cry. It's that you put your your emotions onto someone else. So it's almost like your behavior harms somebody else. And that's the thing. It's like, we're so busy judging women that we don't realize that if the person next to us says they're stressed or they're upset, who cares? I mean, we can listen, we can be compassionate, we can be empathetic, but it's not gonna, the, we're not gonna going out of business. We're, we start to go out of business and we start to have conflicts when I put my behavior on you, when I put my stress on you. But if you allow me to express it and we can collaborate and we can be supportive, you're going to have a better work environment. You're going to have people stay longer. You're going to have people be more authentic. They're going to be more creative. And when you have a business where everybody's happier and more creative, you're going to be more profitable. So it's really interesting that I found it more collaborative, more understanding, more supportive than other environments that I had been in before. And I think any corporation is capable of it. I think that corporate America, there's the patriarchy is a social contract and we can change that contract, right? We could change acceptable behaviors and we can allow people to express themselves as long as they aren't harming others and that was one of the biggest awakenings for me that you can cry you can you could do anything you want as long as you're being respectful to the people around you and you're doing a good job so 
that was one of the biggest differences that I saw. Yeah, I thought that was so interesting. The other thing you bring up is such an important point is about um, the female perceptions of beauty and how we think about ourselves and maybe the self-talk that we're giving ourselves. And, and I thought that was a really important part of the book as well, because I think women are very largely very hard on ourselves about our appearance. So can you share? No, definitely. Well, that. that's being, you know, we're being told this from a very young age right? How we need to look, how we need to look. And it gets really confusing because then all of a sudden like, oh, go to college, get a job. You're equal, you're equal, you're equal. You know, you hear these messages that you're equal and then you get out into the world and you're judged differently. You're treated differently. I mean, if you think about it in 1991, men and women were graduating college at the same rate, but come to, you know, the 2020, 2021, how come only 5% of the CEOs at the big corporations are women? How come only 11% are on the boards of directors? How come, you know, I think it's like men get promoted. I think women and men enter the workforce at the same rate, but after five years, men get um, promoted at a rate of two to one. So all these things are happening, right? That there's, there isn't real equality, but at the same time, we're also always being judged on our looks in a way. And, and what happens in the end is that we judge ourselves. And this was something that, look, when your husband leaves you and you're middle age, that's a place, and he's going out with a woman who's in her 30s, that's a place where I could really get stuck. And, right. and the reason why I did it, it, it was I went to this woman um, because I was going to get like a holistic beauty treatment. And she ended up being this beautiful healer. And she wrote this book about beauty. And in this book, she writes the definition of beauty in the Webster's Dictionary is that which gives pleasure to our senses. And there was something about that. I was like, wait a second. I am out there in the world, always worried about what I look like, but on a, on a standard that was sold to me that I see on television, that I see in advertisements, when less than 5% of the people, women actually even look like that, if that's even, you know, 5% is probably even high. But the minute... I was able to kind of change that perspective. Wait a second, beauty is what gives me pleasure. It was just like a light bulb that went off because it changed it. Instead of the outside telling me what was beautiful, the, my inside was telling me what was beautiful. And the, when you start to nurture that, the truth comes out. When you start to nurture that, you start to see yourself in a different way. And that idea really transformed me. So instead of looking at, I need to be this. My search is what is going to give me pleasure? What's beautiful to me? And when you shift that and really start to embrace it, mm -hmm. life changes because as women, we're kind of sold how to be disempowered when we enter the room. And if beauty is one of the things that disempowers you, you're never going to enter every room fully empowered being able to say what you want, being able to say how you feel, being able to get what you want, because you always feel you need to look a certain way to get there. But the minute you start to say, wait a second, beauty is what gives me pleasure. That's not something you're thinking about when you enter the room, because you know, you have it, you have what it takes, you're valuing yourself, you're loving yourself, and you're not letting that one hook bring you down. And unfortunately, a lot of women spend a lot of time and a lot of stress and a lot of aggravation on that point. But if you flip it and you take it back, Life is different. Life is different because beauty is what gives you pleasure. It's a big concept, but if you could get there, game changer.
It's, it's a huge um, paradigm shift, but it's so important. And, yeah. you know, along those lines, the other piece you're talking about is the fact that we're always trying to be other people or comparing ourselves to other people, which is also a, just a, a huge poison and that we have to kind of turn that around. So how can we start to realize that we're unique and that that's a good thing and love ourselves? Well, that's the thing. It's, it's the problem I think a lot of women face is that you get to a point in your life and you say, if I was so beautiful, if I was so smart, if I was so wonderful, if I was so great, why don't I have more success in my life? That's kind of what happened to me. It's like, I'm looking around corporate America and I'm like, well, if I'm all these things, I've been here for a while, why haven't I achieved more? And I think, unfortunately, I think that the, the rules were not made for us to begin with, right? So that's kind of why it happens. And, and that's why the inner world is so important, right? Because if we're looking at the outer world all the time, we're gonna compare ourselves to our male coworkers. We're gonna compare ourselves to the outliers, some of the women who were able to compete in, in a very male dominated patriarchal society and be like, well, why don't I have that? And then we're gonna go on Instagram and then we're gonna go on social media, right? And then we're gonna say, well, why don't I look like that? And why don't I have that? And it's a downward spiral. And we're not honoring who we are, and the reason we're not honoring who we are is because we never had the opportunity to. And that's why, again, if we start from the inside out, we can change things. We only compare because we're not satisfied with the life that we have. But if we go within and see our authenticity and our individuality can find a way to appreciate who we are, then it goes from the inside and it starts to go outward. And then it's not a game of comparisons. It's a game of authenticity and creativity and I think that more women, when they're able to stop looking at what someone else has and kind of cultivate that inner world, we're going to see more women, you know, being able to raise money, more new businesses, and more women speaking up in corporate America and changing that paradigm. So again, it's a shame it's on us, but at least there's enough opportunity now and there's enough openings that we can do this and we can make a change. And I believe that ideas of empathy and compassion and a more open-mindedness and more emotions in the workplace, I think businesses will still be profitable, but everyone will have a better work-life balance. And I think men and women will all be happier at work. Oh, absolutely. You did mention that you feel like there's a real opening for women right now, unlike there's ever been. Why is that, do you think? Well, I think that Me Too opened up a lot. Uh, I think that whole movement about what women tolerate, I mean, before we weren't talking about, I mean, it's interesting, it, it started with Hollywood in, in a lot of ways, but now people are looking at more about how women are treated in service industries. You know, there's more awareness. It used to be like when a woman would complain about sexual harassment, you know, she might lose her job or uh, she wouldn't be believed or they would just kind of, you know, give you a a settlement and, and, and the guy could stay. And now there's like, there's this cultural shift where it's less acceptable. I think you see a lot of more women in politics right now. I think the house of representatives ha having more women there. I just think there's just more of an opening where we're recognizing things differently. And then it's interesting because I would say the pandemic really on the other hand, pulled us back a little bit, right? Cause a lot of women had to stay home. They had to take care of their children, but still there's just a higher consciousness right now. And I do yeah. think that there's more awareness, the, the laws are being enforced a little bit better. So I think that we have this opportunity, there's more women um, going into private equity, 
there's more cash available for women right now. So the hurdles are still there. But if we're willing to believe in ourselves, I think that we can really make a go of it, that we won't be the outliers, that we will be 50 or more than 50% of the population in the workforce. But I think that we could achieve equity at some point if we keep working on this. And that's my hope. I think when women, you know, kind of achieve that equity, I really believe the world will become a better place because the workplace doesn't really work for anybody in a lot of ways. You know, it, it not that, I mean, it's, it's beautiful in a lot of ways, but there's a lot of stuff that's not recognized and there's a lack of humanity. So I think you could have be just as profitable and treat your workers better. Absolutely. You know, while I was reading your book, I hadn't remembered, I've written a bunch of different books myself. I wrote this one many years ago um, that I hadn't remembered, but it's called With This Ring, Making the Ultimate Commitment to Yourself. And I was talking about, like, I was kind of, I had just gotten a divorce. I'm in between relationships. And, you know, I feel like sometimes we feel very insecure, like, oh my God, how am I going to survive? And I, and I felt that, you know, through the journey that you've shared, it was so personal. I said, wow, I know what you're, I know what you feel like to a certain degree in my own way. And so in the, in the book, I bought myself this, um, Moissanite, you know, fake diamond ring, this real flashy one, and I wore it around and and just to see how people would treat me or how I felt about myself and talking about and you you express some things like this in your book as well, like why not you know take yourself out to dinner or why not just treat yourself and you know be that person for yourself and things like that. So I just thought this was it reminded that's me. That's amazing that you wrote that book. That that's really smart. I I want to read that book. That's. Oh. <laughs> I don't even think this audience every, I mean, I forgot about it. I wrote it many, many years ago, but yeah, you reminded me of that. Yeah. We have to love ourselves and find that inner stability. I think it's very hard. What you went through though was so, I mean, I haven't been through anything like what you've been through. You had a long, long relationship. And, you know, I think anybody who reads this, I know my heart just went out to you. I mean, my God, I mean, in every point you make, of course, all the things you go through, of course, you're going to go through all those things. And yet you found the strength within yourself. And the other thing that you talk about is, you know, you created your podcast, the 10 minutes to less suffering. And it's, you're talking to yourself. That's kind of also why I started this podcast during the pandemic, because I was trying to go, what am I going to do? I'm locked up in my house, you know, and you have that same spirit of like, you're going to, yeah, you're going to read your book. You're going to listen to what the you from the past said on a podcast because it's going to help you out today i'm i hear you i hear you because i feel like we have to start with ourselves first i mean absolutely and it's just how are we going to help anybody else you know yeah i'm a big believer in that like you have to be authentic you have to be honest and this experience you know i've been in like i said the work world for a really long time and this experience showed me you know when you have something really unexpected happen in your life you're forced to see the places that you're, you hide. You know, when life is good, it's easy to kind of mask the places where you're vulnerable, the things you don't want to deal with. But when everything crashes and burns in front of you, you get to see all the places. I saw the places I didn't love myself. I saw the places I hid behind my husband. Um, I saw everything. I actually even saw how my relationship with uncertainty, I mean, that's something I was teaching people like about uh, like the uncertainty of life. And yet I didn't see that as a possibility, but what's crazy is that after my husband told me he was leaving, I remembered that the gift of maybe would always sit by my bedside. 
and I couldn't sleep and I had cried nonstop for two days and I went into the bathroom and I actually laid on the floor and I, I couldn't even keep my head up and I was looking at my book and on this, I think it was like on page six, I list my biggest fears. And one of my fears was, would my husband always love me? And I don't even remember writing that. Yeah. I don't know how it got in there. I don't know if it ever, I couldn't even tell you if you put me against the wall, you said you must remember. I can't, but that moment, I was obviously writing to myself that I was so devastated but the fact that I put that in this book that was all about the possibility within uncertainty lifted me. It lifted me in my head. I said, okay, I, I must have, maybe I don't feel it. I don't see it, but it must be here. So I think in our podcasts and our books, yeah, we're helping other people, but we're always helping ourselves as well. We're lifting ourselves up because that book, that little line in that book was something that I held on to until I felt, you know, I always say like when you feel maybe in your heart, that's when your relationship with uncertainty changes, but at least it let me feel it a little bit in my, my mind that, okay, I wrote this, my life must have another possibility other than not being able to make it through this experience that I never expected. Yeah, I guess for me, that was one of the things that was the most refreshing because you and I are on the same page. I mean, I'm trying to tell people just because I write books or whatever, you know, I'm no better than anyone else. I have had struggles and suffering and everything else. And if I, if you can't help yourself, if you can't just be open to those things, then, yeah. then yeah. what's the and point? That's when you're and able you to help people more, right? You're able to say, I had this experience and this is what I learned and this is what I did. I hope it helps you too. That's my hope for every book is just my experience and you know, God bless me and help you. And the funniest thing is people write you. I've gotten emails and calls about my first book and people also have different experience with it. That's the funny thing too. Like it helps you in a certain way, but then it helps somebody else in a way you couldn't have even expected. So it, you know, when you write a book from the heart and you're truthful, it's really a gift that keeps on giving. Truly. Absolutely. And you talk a lot about, um, you know, suffering. I, I've thought about that. I went to a Buddhist temple a couple of years ago and did the silent retreat thing. And they, you know, that's what they're teaching you. Everybody suffers, but yeah. you bring up the work of Viktor Frankl, which is so important. And the fact that I can't compare the way I'm suffering to your suffering, nor should we be comparing again, just like we should not compare anything of how we're dealing with ourselves to others. So can you share a little bit about that? And it's just a really brilliant point. And yeah, it's just no, really absolutely. You know, women, we always feel guilty. We're, a lot of us feel guilty, we feel guilty for feeling bad. We feel guilty for suffering. But he says, you know, suffering is like gas. It fills up the tank, whether it's large or small, right? It's going to fill up the entire tank if the tank is big or small. And for me, I believe it or not, I had a breast cancer scare in the middle of this horrific year. I'm all alone and I've never had a cancer scare in my life. And it turned out that I was okay, but oh, I was God. waiting for my results. And because I'm a self-help person and I, I have all these theories and I help all these people, I was feeling bad about how much I was suffering. I was scared. I was honestly scared that I was going to have cancer. Who was going to take care of my kids? How was I going to get through this? I was alone. And this woman was wheeled next to me. And she was an older woman. She was missing hair. Uh, she was bloated and, and she looked really sick. And then I started again to feel like, what right do I have to suffer? I'm suffering so deeply. And look at this woman. She's experienced so much more than I am. And then I remembered that quote that it's okay. Like you're like, 
it's not suffering happens. That's a part of life. It comes and it goes and we have to accept it. And it's, and to be kind to ourselves and say, this moment's hard. Women need to be able to say this moment is hard and this is how I feel. Now we have a choice after we suffer, after we feel, what will we do with that suffering? Because in that moment I did after like 10 to 15 minutes of feeling just awful and scared, then I did start to think about how uncertainty has maybe in it that no matter what, that there would be new possibilities. I started to think of the blessings in my life of all the beautiful things that I had. So I was able to calm myself in that moment, but to deny life has suffering is to not fully live. And Viktor Frankl, look, he suffered through the Holocaust, right? And he, for him to able to say that uh, was quite profound. And he says, you know, one of the biggest strengths we have sometimes is to shed tears, is to cry. And so we have to allow ourselves, I'm a big believer, allow yourself to feel what you feel. And then after you feel it, you could decide what you want to do with that. And to me, that's such a big part of life. And we do have choices, but to not allow our truth, it's not fair. And especially as women, it's okay to feel bad. It's okay to cry. And at some point, can you make a decision? Sure, but allow it. And I think that allowing myself to be scared and suffer so deeply through that was a big awakening for me. It was a big acceptance of who I am. You know, why should we deny our truth, right? I totally agree. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I think also in terms of healing, I mean, if we're stepping our emotions down all the time, which we've obviously been conditioned to do, then eventually that's gonna cause dis-ease. And along those lines, what I thought was also interesting, because you were just having this regular, you know, very um, mainstream life. And yet then this profound thing happened to you, like you said, and it changed your whole life. And so you ended up becoming more interested in healing and you became interested in Reiki. So tell, this is a good audience for this. So tell uh, us about how you got into your work as a healer. Well, like, you know, what's really interesting is that about, I mean, I was, you know, I had an awakening a while ago. And so I was into alternative stuff and I, you know, I was life coaching people. But about a year before my husband left, I got interested in Reiki and I became a Reiki one practitioner. And I didn't think much more of it. Um, you know, I used to work on myself and maybe work on my kids. And I had signed up for another class right around the time my ex-husband-to-be, because the papers aren't totally signed yet. Um, and these women, th this group, the, I, I went for the Reiki two. Um, and the Reiki three. I, did, I don't know if I did it all together or not. At this point, I don't remember. And I met this group of women that ended up being like a lifeline for me. And it's funny because they were all planning on being practitioners. And I was sitting there and it was like very more about myself and what I wanted to do. And the woman looked at me, the, the Reiki master looked at me and said, this will be good for you in business. Continue taking the classes. And I spent a gorgeous year, this year without men, one of the most profound things that I did was meet with these women once a month and learn about energy healing and how to nourish the soul and all these gorgeous, beautiful things about myself and the universe and God and opening. And I believe that Reiki was one of the most important things that came into my life during the year. It just, it soothed my soul and it, it transformed me. Um, and I feel very lucky to have had a heart opening experience through it at, at the most painful time of my life. Yeah, I, I'm a deep lover of Reiki myself and, and uh, many, many years ago. Yes, that's kind of, yeah, I think Reiki does show up for people at the time when they both most need it. 
And yeah. it's just such a lovely gift that you can give to others as well. Absolutely. It was, it, everything that happened to me during a year without men, most of it, I didn't expect. And I felt very blessed. But I think one of the keys too, is when you're going through something is to do your best to stay open. And that's why that idea of maybe really kind of like, to me, uncertainty, how we show up for uncertainty is the most important thing in our lives. It, it's like uncertainty dictates uh, who you're going to marry, the job you're going to take, the decisions you're going to make. And because I had practiced such a deep relationship with uncertainty, I think it always left me open. And I felt very fortunate that I was able to say yes to the Reiki because I just knew that, you know, what you don't know is your best friend because that's how your life changes. So I, I looked at that, the, the Reiki master and I was like, all right, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> it ended up being an amazing experience. Yeah, it's incredible how these little twists and turns in life lead you to a whole group of best friends that you would never have found otherwise. It's incredible. Yeah, they're still my sisters. They're my Reiki sisters. Like if there's like a new moon or someone's going through a problem, you know, everyone's like, can you send some Reiki love my way? And we keep in touch. And it's, yeah, I think it was profound for everyone in different ways. And they're, they're all practicing now, actually, too. They're all Reiki masters and they all have practices and stuff like that. So it was great that I was able to witness that. Yes, it's incredible. So if someone out there really is struggling with whatever, all the things that we struggle with, what, what would you recommend? I know that's I a big question. The most but... important thing is that, you know, deep down when we're struggling, we're afraid we're not okay. That's our biggest fear. And part of the reason we fear we're not okay is because we thought life would go a certain way or we want things to, to happen or we're afraid that we might never achieve our dreams. And it's our relationship with uncertainty that's going to be the most important thing during when life is good and when life is bad. And I talk a lot about that in the first chapter of the book that how women are affected by uncertainty more than men, not because they fear it more. I believe men and women fear uncertainty equally, but because women, the road is not as clear. We have to be okay with what we don't know because that's where life's going to change. So I think that's the most important thing is to find a way to settle in. And when you settle in to uncertainty, when, you, when you're okay with it, when you know that that's where life will change, that that's where all the goodies are, that that's where the possibilities are, you could start to rest in the moment. And when you rest in the moment, you become more your true self, your more creative self, and you live with less fear and worry. So to me, that relationship I have with uncertainty and that idea of maybe, maybe is the hope within the unknown right? Because we live in the maybe not. And we forget that because you don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe things will get better. Maybe you'll be okay. You know, and I go through that. I, I had, there are a lot of exercises in the book, but when you master your relationship with uncertainty, hard times change. Because when I went back to maybe it didn't change my pain, maybe it didn't change the pain because the pain was heartbreak. The pain was betrayal. It was disappointment, but the maybe reminded me that life could change and it could open up again. And there'd be more possibilities. And that's what we have to remember. It's not the end until it, it, it is. And when we're going through a hard time, we feel doom and gloom. But we remember maybe we realize that might that one fear might not be true. And there's so much more out there. There's so much more that life can offer us if we're willing to stay on the playing field. And if I was crawling, if I was sleeping, if I was under my bed, whatever I was doing that year, I stayed on the playing field. And I knew that if I stayed with it and I stayed open, and I stayed loving and I processed what I felt, I would get to the other side. And 
it's three years on June 30th since he told me that. Do I still have pain? Yes. But I love myself more. I value myself more. I'm out there in the world. I have new possibilities. I have new opportunities. And I'm not hiding. I'm not hiding. And to not hide is the most beautiful feeling to be able to walk into a room and to know your value and to be okay with that, no matter what happens, is a peaceful, joyful, beautiful place to live. So that's my hope for, for every woman that reads this book. Yeah, I just realized that, you know what, your anniversary of your adventure is coming up. And you, you did, I, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but people, you need to read this. I'm not going to tell you what it is, okay? <laughs> and Alice, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but she got a big surprise uh, a year after all this initially went down on June 30th. Yeah. So you're having June 30th come up. Yeah. And um, I wish you well with this. Tell us how we can get a hold of your your website, your consulting services, et cetera. And there will be links to this book. Everyone needs uh, it. My website is alisoncarmen.com. And on the website, you know, you could see a lot of stuff about the book. You could see my blogs and you could see my podcast. Um, and you, know, you can get in touch with me at alison at alisoncarmen.com. The book uh, is released by Skyhorse publishing on July 6th, which is super exciting. And of course, my other book, The Gift of Maybe is available at all major bookstores and online retailers. And, um, and that's where people can find me. But I really, I think this book is, could be very empowering for anybody going through a hard time, but especially a woman to kind of cultivate that strength within every woman has it in them to find the strength and resilience to go out into the world and achieve their goals and their dreams. It's just, we have to look at the places that we're falling short and, and not in a judgmental way, but maybe because the world sold us that or our, our parents sold us that or a husband or an ex-boyfriend or a difficult situation. But there's a lot more that we can do. And it, it's just a shift. It's a shift of perspective. And when we have that, I think that this world is really going to shift tremendously. I agree. It's a great book. Allison, you are wonderful. People, you need to check it out. A Year Without Men, highly recommended exercises to take you through just your thought process. And um, I recommend her podcast as well. Very cool. I love that the podcast is short, so we can just get in there. You're giving some really valuable information. Allison, it was a joy to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I wish you all the success with your new book and everything yeah, maybe. Else. We'll see. <laughs> yes, I believe it. I believe it. All right, friends, we've wrapped up another episode of Healing Arts. So until next time, have a blessed day and I'll see you next time on Healing Arts. You've been listening to Healing Arts with Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at pastlifelady.com or on YouTube at Past Life Lady or connect with me on Facebook at Past Life Lady. Hey friends, it's Dr. Shelley. If you are experiencing anxiety, depression, or trauma, check out my book, Meet Your Karma, The Healing Power of Past Life Memories. This is a book filled with amazing case histories of clients who have successfully healed their anxiety and trauma, and it has a lot of guided journeys in it designed to help you get through these challenging times. 
click on my website at pastlifelady.com, follow the book links, and check out Meet Your Karma, The Healing Power of Past Life Memories today.